And then we are off. So thank you again. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself, um, the title you go by, pronouns, all that, and then we'll go from there. Great. Hi, I'm Aaron Brockett. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I've been a member of the Boulder City Council for the last six years, and I've been the mayor of Boulder for three weeks. Perfect. So I guess one of the first questions that I'll start off with is Boulder currently has a system where the city council is the one who decides the mayor, and that will change in the coming years. How do you feel about being the last mayor to be elected under this old system? And then what the implications of that will be um, when that switchover comes where voters themselves will directly elect the mayor? Well, certainly any chance you have to be hit a footnote in the history books is a welcome one. Uh, so I'm not sure what number mayor I am, but I, I will be the last mayor elected uh, by my colleagues. Uh, so that's kind of fun. You know, the election from within the council has worked out uh, well for the city for the last many decades. Um, generally, it means that it's someone who's earned the respect uh, of their uh, elected colleagues. Um, but I'm also looking forward to this changing in two years when we're moving to direct election the mayor using ranked choice voting in 2023. Uh, the, the mayor does have a pretty significant role in the community as a um, as a leader, uh, you know, during crises or um, difficult times and leads the meetings and helps with the agenda and things like that. And it's an important enough role that I think it makes sense for the entire community to have a say in who has that role. So I think going to direct election is a, a good move for the city. Thank you. More to your background. Um, I've read that you're a software engineer and now you're the mayor. How, how do those two things work together or oppose each other and feed one another? Yeah, I, I've been, my day job is in software and I've been doing that for my entire professional career, 25 years or so. Um, and so, you know, that's my day job and, and I do that during the day and, and you know, squeeze in an occasional um, uh, city council or mayoral thing here and there, and then generally focus on the evenings and the weekends on the elected official role. So it's definitely a balancing act. It keeps me busy, but, um, you know, they're different, different things. It keeps life interesting. Perfect. One of the things I've wanted to dive into before we get to the bulk that I talked about earlier is relationships between the city of Boulder and then the University of Colorado Boulder. As you know, there's been tensions about the University Hill, Sea Boulder South and all of that. And as you're now mayor, you have a bit more of an influence on how those discussions are framed in the city and talked about. And so I'm curious your thoughts on how under your mayorship that relationship between city and campus can continue to coexist and how you hope to see that in the future. Yeah, well, CU is of course an incredibly important part of the city of Boulder. The city of Boulder really has the identity it has because of that early location of the university within our city, um, you know, back a um, century and a half ago. Uh, and so I very much value the university's presence. You know, there have been times you know, when town-gown relationships have been somewhat strained, but I'm happy to say that's not the case right now. The university and the city have a really uh, fantastic and positive partnership. Uh, and as mayor, my intention is to just strengthen that as much as we can. So uh, we're working really well together and I, I look forward to continuing that. 
And then on See You Boulder South, that's been where a lot of tensions in this last year have come out. Um, how do you see those discussions continuing to go now that there was a measure on the November ballot? How do you hope that proceeds going forward? Yeah, I've generally been a supporter of that process as it's moved moved forward over the last you know six years when I've been on council. Um, you know, it's a complicated uh, negotiation and agreement, and obviously there's a lot of controversy in the community about it. Um, but I do feel like the city and the university worked really, really hard together to come up with a compromise plan that allows the city to move forward with desperately needed flood mitigation for our South Boulder residents, um, while also giving the university the opportunity to you know, develop some also desperately needed housing uh, for faculty, um, staff, and, and students. You know, in the meantime, preserving um, you know, more than a third of the site as permanently protected open space, you know, acquiring water rights, and, and you know, a site for a public safety facility, space for affordable housing, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of parts and pieces to that, uh, that agreement, but I think in the end, it came out to a good place. And so I'm looking forward to moving forward um, with implementation of that. Specifically, the city is now working on uh, the engineering design for that flood mitigation project. So we're moving forward on that in the next year or two, and then to get permits from the various federal agencies that are necessary. And uh, really excited about getting that, that protection uh, for those the roughly 2,300 uh, city Boulder residents that are in harm's way downstream. You had mentioned briefly about just housing and how city Boulder South can provide more housing for students, faculty, et cetera. Just very broadly, we can touch on this quickly. Housing in the city of Boulder, got his uh, shot up so high within the last few years, as you know. Under your mayorship, how do you want to keep continue ensuring that people of all backgrounds are welcome in Boulder, regardless of their financial status coming in? Yeah, thanks for phrasing it that way, because that's often how I talk about it, is, is the need to, to keep Boulder an accessible place for people of all backgrounds and incomes. Um, and so it's a very tough problem. I mean, Boulder is a very expensive place. Um, to live in and to buy housing in as, as we all know. So there's no one perfect solution, but it is one of the things that I really wanna work on um, during my time on council. And so part of that I think is to create more housing opportunities in the right places in town. So we have some you know, transit corridors like Arapahoe Avenue, 28th and 30th Street um, running through town uh, that have you know underutilized parcels with old strip malls and empty parking lots places like Diagonal Plaza up at 28th and, and Iris, where there's an opportunity to, to create housing opportunities, walkable mixed use neighborhoods, you know, different types of housing, different price points, and, and then to keep the city and our um, housing authorities, these housing authority builder housing partners uh, very closely involved to ensure that as much of that new housing as possible uh, is deed restricted affordable to folks of low and, and moderate incomes. As I think we need we need lots of types of housing, but the the biggest need is is housing that is um, that we know it will be affordable um, to folks of different income levels. And past that, you know, look for some additional opportunities to for people to live in in some parts of town that that currently are just zoned for single family um, buildings. So, for example, accessory dwelling units are a great way to give. Um, folks a, a chance to live within um, a single family neighborhood. So like a, you might call them a granny flat, like a, an apartment above a garage or in a basement. And so 
we have room uh, to make those easier to create as as well. So projects like that to to get a few more people you know, living sustainably in in some of those neighborhoods as well. One of the things on the November ballot was bedrooms are for people, which ultimately did not pass by voters, but there's still work on trying to change Boulder City law. Do you plan on still continuing conversations with the organizers for bedrooms are for people? And how do you think that would look? Yeah, great question, because it's another piece of this puzzle about who can live where. And so that particular measure was not successful at the ballot box. So you know we shouldn't try to just implement it legislatively at the council. But it was also a very close vote, and it showed energy in the community for looking at how um, our occupancy limits work and um, and how they might be somewhat different. So my hope is that the, the new council um, in 2022 can get this item on our work plan and say, okay, how could we change how our occupancy limit rules work to give more housing opportunities for folks uh, where they don't currently exist? Because one of the ways of to make housing more affordable is to allow people to share housing and share the costs associated with that housing. Um, it's also more sustainable, you know, a couple more people in the same building, you're sharing energy costs. Um, so it, it's beneficial potentially for the community in a lot of ways. So I'm really hopeful we can take this on in 2022 and, and look at some other reforms. I will mention you know, that this is another controversial topic and, and a lot of the controversy is associated with people who fear that if there are more people living in a house, then that will bring with it negative impacts, you know, that maybe there'll be loud parties or people won't take care of the yard or there'll be trash lying around. And one of the things I think we can do better as a city is in our code enforcement area, where if people are behaving in inappropriate ways that really impact their neighbors, that the city should be able to go and, and say to folks, hey, that, that's not allowed. You, know, you gotta, whatever, clean up your trash or, or stop the party or whatever it is. Um, and so I think if people understand that we're gonna work to do a better job in that area, there'll be some more flexibility to um, changing exactly how our occupancy limits work. Thank you. Also looking forward to 2022, as was announced a few weeks ago, the Boulder King Supers on Table Mesa Drive will be reopening on January 20th, nearly a year after the horrific shooting that took place back in March, 2021. I wanna go onto two paths on this. The first path being, how is city council continuing to address gun violence in the city of Boulder and ensuring that people who come to the city who visit feel safe when they're here and they know that this is an active council or some people who are cognizant of this issue and want to do something, whatever that might look like? It's, a, it's a, an excellent question. Obviously, gun violence is a scourge in our society right now with mass shootings occurring on a horrifically regular basis. And um, ideally, the federal government would be stepping up with stronger gun violence control measures. Um, but sadly, they're not. So it falls on states and municipalities to do as much as they can to protect our residents. So, you know, a few years ago, the city council did take up and pass an assault weapons ban in the city of Boulder. And uh, it was, I was very proud to be part of that effort. And you know, if, if such an assault weapons ban had been in place in the entire state of Colorado, the um, shooter would not have been able to, to purchase the weapon that he purchased. And, um, and you, uh, you figure that, the, that there would be some people um, alive now who, who are not um, if rules like that had been in place. So, um, you know, unfortunately that, that assault weapons ban was struck down um, 
by a judge um, a while back, um, just shortly before the shooting. Um, but fortunately, in this last year, our state legislature has uh, reasserted cities' abilities to pass their own um, gun control regulations. So I know one of the top priorities for this council, I think, is very likely is to reinstate that assault, on, assault weapons ban. Um, so that it is clear that you can't sell or possess an assault weapon in the city of Boulder. And then um, I think we are going to be looking closely as well at other gun violence prevention measures that we can pass at the city level uh, now that we have this new ability from the state legislature to enact those. So um, I, I, I won't list specifics right now because I think they're still under discussion and development, but um, I'm hopeful we can add some additional restrictions that, that'll help keep our residents safer. And how would you respond to people who say, we don't want these initiatives passed, we want other forms of uh, gun regulation, et cetera, et cetera. How would you respond to critics of, quote, gun control policies? Well, it's a huge topic, but I think that we can say that, that our current approach in the United States is failing and failing very, very badly. So we're a society that is awash in guns of all types, and um, and the lack of gun regulations um, has resulted in I think it's over uh, forty thousand people dying from gun violence in our in our society every year, which is vastly disproportionate to the levels that you see in every other developed nation in the world. So um, I think if folks folks who make the argument that what we're doing now is successful, I I, I think it's easy to say that it's not. So, um, like I said, you know, the, the best regulations would be passed at a higher level of government, but I think it's incumbent on us at the local level to do what we can. And then just on the note of safety, not direct in regards to gun violence, but safety in the city of Boulder, there are residents who are skeptical, say, of police in their community, um, especially given heightened ideas and recognition about police brutality across the country and here at home. How do you want the council to situate people who are skeptical of having more laws and more law enforcement presence to help mitigate these things in other capacities? Yeah, and I, I understand those concerns. Um, and, and certainly in the, in the last uh, year and a half with the, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, you know, we've seen the, the repercussions of, of uh, police violence um, in communities across the country. Uh, and, I will say that I think we have a, a good police department here in the city of Boulder. Um, there have been problems, uh, for example, um, in the uh, uh, the incident with Zayd Atkinson several years ago, uh, which which was very unfortunate. And so we realized that there's the need for reform in our own city as well. And so we've been undertaking a number of measures to, um, you know, improve things here in town. Like we created the the first police monitor in um, independent police monitor in the city's history uh, of about two years ago. So we, we created a new department and also a committee that has oversight uh, over the police department to, to investigate any uh, problems that come up. So uh, that's something I'm also proud that we did. So it gives folks an avenue to, if they feel like they've been mistreated by the police, to, to get that investigated by an outside body. And so that that group is moving forward and I'm, I'm really glad they're there. Um, we're also in the middle of a two-year project to what, what we call reimagine policing in the city of Boulder. Police department is revising their master plan. 
Um, and so they're doing a lot of public outreach about how they can operate in ways um, uh, that you fully garner the, the community's trust. So I think these are all good steps forward. Again, while also stating that I feel like we have an exemplary police department, um, our police chief, Maris Harold, um, is, a, is a progressive police chief who's working on implementing best practices in, in policing as well. Um, so I think we're you know, on, on the right track in those areas. But I will say on, on another side that, um, that there are areas that, that currently the police are routinely involved in that uh, probably are unnecessary. So I mentioned code enforcement before. So currently, if, if there is a report of, a, uh, of somebody being too loud or, or, or weeds or noise or trash or things like that, the, the police department goes and investigates those things. And um, it seems like the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily mean an armed, uniformed police officer to conduct. Uh, you could have civilian people um, going and taking those roles on and only calling the police if there were some need for backup, like a really rowdy party. Uh, for example. Um, another example of that would be um, for folks who are experiencing um, behavioral health crises. Uh, so uh, right now we have a, a fantastic uh, mental health co-responder program. It's called the uh, uh, Crisis Intervention Response Team, CIRT, so that if, if someone's in, in having a mental health or behavioral health crisis and the police are called, that there'll be a co-response between police officers and uh, mental health social workers. Um, and that's been a really successful program, but there's also the opportunity to take that a step further. Um, there are other cities that have um, social work, mental health work uh, only responders, uh, first responders, so that when there's a, a call that comes in, um, th this is something that they do in, in Denver with the STAR program. Um, there's a very long running program in Eugene, Oregon called Cahoots on this model. So the call comes in and it seems like there's no threat to the community um, or a crime in process, uh, progress or only very minor crime like trespassing, then um, you can send out the social workers instead of the police. And, um, and that takes a burden off the police department and also can reassure folks who, you know, if somebody says is, is having a mental health crisis, um, you know, may, uh, may be upsetting to them to have uh, uniformed police officers approach them. So uh, this has been, these programs have been very successful in other places. The STAR program in Denver in its first year of operation actually uh, never needed police to be called for backup. They were able to handle 100% of the calls that they were sent on. So I think that's another opportunity to um, shift to a civilian model of a response. And that, that, that saves the police time to work on the, you know, the serious crimes, you know, the, the burglaries or the, we've had a, a rash of bike thefts and, and bike theft rings that really need police investigation response. So you can move towards things where to give them more time to pursue those really serious crimes and have less kind of direct involvement of uh, law enforcement in day-to-day -day, uh, smaller issues or mental health related issues. So Thank that was a you. bit of a long answer, but it, I, I had a lot of thoughts on that question. That works for me, helps to flush out these ideas more. I wanna circle back to King Supers and as it's reopening and we still have yet to see a trial come about yet. As that store reopens, how do you hope the city, the people of this city respond to that reopening? And as that trial goes on, there's gonna be a lot of emotional wounds reopen. And how should people respond to that? Or not how they should, but what are you expecting? And how is the city going to take care of the people who may be going through that uh, emotional turmoil once more? 
Yeah, well, the, the reopening of the, the South Boulder King Supers is going to be an important milestone for our community. It, that was a really important community gathering hub for a large part of town, both in a practical sense, because you know it's a great place to get your groceries as you're heading home you know, after work or, or some other situation. Um, but also just this is where folks saw their neighbors. You know, they they um, get some groceries or grab a cup of coffee and they run into you know, an old friend and chat for a few minutes. And um, so we really learned about what an important community hub that was uh, when it was closed. And so there obviously is the incredible tragedy, the shooting itself, um, but there's also, uh, it's been a real uh, hole in that, that South Boulder community having that grocery store closed. So I know folks are really looking forward to having it open again, uh, both as a place to just get groceries, but to have that community hub come back and then there'll be a really heightened emotional aspect to that, you know, with it having been close along, and of course the the tragedy, the horrendous tragedy that happened there. So I know folks are going to have all kinds of challenging emotions to work through. We have had a, a Boulder Strong um, Center open um, in South Boulder uh, since right after the shooting happened, uh, where folks can go to uh, to to get self care and therapy and help and. Um, and it's been a great community service. And I know we're planning on keeping that open for some time uh, as a place where people can go to, to get assistance as, as maybe they're, they're struggling with some of the emotional impacts as this moves forward. And are there any plans through city council at least for a permanent city memorial to the victims or what's the status on that as you know? Yeah, there's a lot of interest in some kind of permanent memorial. and what we're doing is taking a very deliberate approach on that rather than rushing to put something together quickly instead uh we've been taking time you know first to let the the initial um you know trauma heal somewhat uh, and then also to take time to consult with the entire community obviously very importantly the families of the victims um, but but also the the larger community as a whole so I can't give you an exact timeline yet, and we don't know whether it would be on site or in some other part of town. Um, all that is still to be determined, but it is something that's very important to, to the city to, to do um, when the time is right and, and with the consultation of, of everybody involved. I have one last question um, that goes from anything that we've talked about to this point, though, if you want to incorporate that, you're more than welcome to. As you mentioned, you've only been in this role as mayor for three weeks now, but I still want to hear your thoughts about looking forward five years, 10 years, 100 years from now, what your legacy, what you hope it can be as you move throughout being a new mayor to a tenured mayor to someone who has that lived experience and what people can look back on far from now. It's a good question. Um, I haven't really thought about uh, what, what I want my historical legacy uh, to be. You know, I'm really focused on trying to make progress in the next year or two on these very challenging issues that our community faces. You know, um, things like uh, the lack of mental health healthcare resources and um, and the difficulty of finding affordable housing. So th there are a lot of problems that that I want to work on, and my hope is that you know after my two years or however long it is that that I have this role. Um, that, that folks can look back on on the time that I, I was mayor and say, you know what, we, we moved the needle. You know, Boulder shifted how it approached things, um, you know, whether it's about 
better regional transit um, or more housing opportunities or, or other problems that our community faces. And, uh, and we, have, we have things to be proud of you know, from, from the work that took place in that time. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining me on this Zoom call. I appreciate it so much. And if there's anything else you wanna say, I'll let you have that time right now before we head out. No, you asked great questions, Caden. You're obviously very familiar with the, the issues that are going on in the community. So I appreciated the chance to, to talk about some of my ideas and, and where, where we are and where we're headed. So appreciate the opportunity.